0: Classmates, they would get like bikes for their birthdays. They would get like you know really kind of more expensive things, and we would get much smaller things. If we wanted a bike, we had to save for half of it, and then my parents would you know uh, uh, fund the other half. And and so I had this idea that we were kind of poor compared to other families. So we were growing up, but it's funny because our house is actually bigger than, (laughs) than some other people's houses. And. Uh, and what I realized, you know, as an adult looking back is that, you know, my parents really didn't want to spend where like it wasn't necessary. They wanted to make sure that there was money for college. They wanted to make sure there was always like emergency funds and, and, uh, and they felt security in having that extra money as opposed to other families where they may not have very much in savings. They may not be in a good place towards retirement. Uh, they may be spending kind of everything that's coming in.
1: Hola, sweet friends. Welcome to Medicine, Marriage, and Money podcast. The only podcast for physicians who want to achieve marital interdependence and financial freedom together. In this podcast, you will learn how to show up as the best version of yourself so that you can love intentionally and build a more financially savvy relationship with your spouse. I am your host, a physician mom, a doctor's wife, and a certified life coach, Dr. Kate Mangona. Welcome. Bienvenidos. Please help me welcome our guest on today's episode of Medicine, Marriage and Money, Dr. Elisa Jiang. Dr. Elisa is an ophthalmologist, oculoplastic surgeon, and life coach. Elisa works with healthcare professionals to master money mindset so that they can build wealth and practice medicine on their own terms. Dr. Jiang is the supportive wife to a high school teacher for the past 21 years and 10 months, almost 22 years, you guys. If you, I know this is audio, but if you saw her face, she looks like, yeah, she was just born. So no, 22 years, oh my gosh. And let's talk about money mindset and investing, especially for women physicians. Welcome, Dr. Elisa Jung.
0: Oh, and of course, you know, of course, we know each other through the Life Coach School, so. Thanks for having me here. So excited to be here with you.
1: Yes, for sure. Let's just let's just start right off. The, let's just start with my hardest question right off the bat. What is the definition of marital interdependence? Or what is your definition of marital interdependence? I also just like to ask my guests, think of that as like, what makes a successful marriage?
0: Yeah, so just the knowledge that marriage takes work, right? And in the beginning, it seems like, oh, you know, everything's all lovey dovey and passion, but you got to keep working even to keep up the passion, right? So just being connected with each other. And you know, how are you connected with each other? You want to spend, you know, quality time together and actually talk to each other and do things together. Mm, yes, quality
1: time. That is definitely my love language. Quality time and do things together. So perfect. What tell will take us back. Okay, so maybe it's 22 years ago, maybe before then. How did you meet? How did you guys meet? How did you fall in love?
0: Yeah, so um, I went to Caltech and they have something called Pre frosh Weekend where they invite everyone who is accepted for a weekend to experience the campus. And so we actually met during Pre frosh Weekend. He was a freshman and I was what's called a Pre frosh And we played uh, Capture the Flag. Caltech has a steam tunnel system. And so if you want to go in the steam tunnels, they match the pre with with uh, existing students so you wouldn't get lost down there. And so we got matched together and we ended up just hanging out all night, playing capture the flag, not really ever getting close to the flag or anything, but just running around campus through the steam tunnels, popping up in different buildings, kind of running around. And yeah, that's, that's how we met.
1: Oh my gosh. That is so cute. So, okay. So you didn't win. You didn't capture the flag.
0: Well, we didn't ever even find where the flag was. In all honesty, I don't know if we were on the winning team or the losing team in the end. I mean, someone got the flag.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. It doesn't matter at this point. What matters is that you got him. Yeah. He got you. Okay. So how, what was it about him that you fell in love with?
0: I don't know. He was just, he was a little shy, but he was like really sweet. And um, yeah, I don't, it, it's it's really hard to say. So it's funny because, you know, we play that one game and then I kind of spent the rest of the weekend trying to find ways to like bump into him again, right? Um, and we finally, like on the last night, uh, we actually, like, I, I was like hanging, because I knew he was, uh, he lived in Fleming, like, you know, there's different places where the students live. And so I would just kind of like go and hang out there and hope I'd bump into him. <laughs> and did it work? Yeah, so... Um, uh, yeah, we, we, I was, I had, um, befriended another, uh, pre-frosh and so we were hanging out. So we were just kind of chatting and sitting there and, and then he did see us and then he would kind of like go by the stairs and say, hi. And then like, he just kept coming back and forth and somehow we ended up going to the hot tub. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's always a <laughs> great place to hang out. Right. <laughs> and yes. then, so then we exchanged, uh, contact information. And we started emailing each other regularly and actually talking on the phone like once a week. My parents actually had a long distance plan where Fridays were free. And so we actually talked every Friday night or almost Friday nights, uh, you know, for from the time that I, you know, essentially since we met until I went to to Caltech for college. Oh, because you weren't actually there yet. Yeah. So it's funny because my father did say, he's like, I'm not saying you to college to chase some boy. <laughs> but of course, when I first got my acceptance to Caltech, his reaction was like, oh my God, you have to go.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so sweet. So, so, okay. So you kept in contact. Was that like a year until you went there?
0: No, pre-fresh weekend was in April and then I started college in August. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So a few months before him.
1: Okay. And then how long after that did you guys get married?
0: We actually eloped during college. Um, We eloped my, well, maybe I shouldn't actually be saying this. A lot of my relatives don't know this. Oh my gosh, Um, spill the beans. Yeah. So uh, we eloped my junior year, um, which was 2020. And uh, part of it was that he and his mother uh, don't have a great relationship. And she was withholding her signature on his financial aid forms, and so if we got married, then we would be independent, and he would not need his signature, her signature on his forms. Um, what? And so we just went ahead and eloped. And actually, I was—that meant I was also independent, and my parents were not on the hook for my last year of uh, of college. So, in retrospect, my parents were like, "Maybe you should have done it earlier. We would have saved a lot of money."
1: <sighs>
0: okay, so. Because his mother
1: wasn't signing a form, does that mean he wasn't going to be able to go? He wasn't getting the financial aid? Or what did that mean? For right, so that? he
0: couldn't get financial aid without his mother like submitting forms and signing forms. And she was withholding the forms in order to get money. So his parents are divorced. And when he started college, instead of his father giving her the money, he's like, okay, I'm now giving you the money because the money is really child support. And so uh, originally he would get the money and then he would just write checks to his mother, but eventually, uh, he stopped writing those checks to his mother.
1: Oh, because they were for him. Yeah. Right. Anyway. Okay. And so after you were married, he was able to submit the forms himself, right. For financial aid yep. and get them himself without his, okay. And then you, so you paid for the last year
0: yourself or did you get financial aid your last year i got financial aid so i got all grants yeah caltech is very generous with their financial aid so
1: if you're okay yeah so if you would have gotten married initially your parents would not have been responsible and you would have gotten like free ride yeah Ah, but that's okay. That's all in retrospect, right? You were too young and mature to, I mean, immature. Yeah, you
0: don't tell a freshman in college to get married to someone that they were just with, right? Like just so that you don't have to pay for college. It's probably not good advice, but you know, 22 years later.
1: Oh my gosh, so yeah, it all worked out just the way it was supposed to work out. And so I feel like, so your very initial encounter, this was like, you know, 23 or 24 years ago, there was financial stuff tied into this. Yeah okay so because i know you love to talk about you know money mindset and investing did this start were you always very financially savvy and wealthy mindset oriented
0: you know i do think my parents somehow instilled a really good money mindset in us Uh, they really instilled like live below your means you know save for a rainy day always have some cash on hand I didn't even realize you could carry a balance on a credit card. I just thought it was a convenience factor. You pay with a credit card, then you get the bill, and then you pay off the bill. Like, you always pay your bills. That's exactly what I thought a credit card was for, too. And all through college, I mean, I tracked my spending. I have spreadsheets in Excel of all of my expenses from college. And I've just continued to do that, yeah.
1: Okay. So they, okay, save for a rainy day, never... Uh, buy more than you can afford to pay off per month. Did, did they t- instill anything about investing or that, is that something you've kind of learned on your own?
0: That's something I learned more on my own. So uh, when I first graduated college, I did work as research assistant for a year. And so they said, okay, now that you're working, you need to contribute to a Roth IRA. And And so I opened the account at Fidelity and I put the money in, but they didn't actually explain that you need to now invest it. So it actually sat in cash for a while until I realized, oh, you're supposed to actually invest this money. Ah, okay. And when did you learn that? Um, when I was in med school, when I started learning about personal finance. Oh, okay.
1: And so why, how, how was it? You started learning about personal finance in medical school? because
0: not everybody does. Yeah. So I did an MD-PhD, specifically an MSTP program. So I actually had a full ride and a stipend, and I knew that I was likely going to be there for eight years. And I returned to my hometown, Cleveland, Ohio, uh, which is a really low cost of living, especially in terms of housing. So a lot of MD-PhDs actually buy a house, because if you're going to be there for eight years and you can actually afford it on- even a salary of twenty thousand dollars a year, you can actually get a loan to buy, you know, a hundred twenty thousand dollar house. Uh, then, and and back then, like mortgages were really easy to get, right? This was like before the whole subprime meltdown and all that. So yeah, we went ahead and um, we looked at houses to buy. We ended up buying my uh, uh, my parents' home from them because my father had actually relocated to California, and and we couldn't actually afford like the market value of the home. Um, so what my parents did was like, we got the max mortgage we could qualify for, which was 120,000. And then we got gifted the down payment uh, for the rest of the, like essentially what the county valued the house at so that, you know, it wasn't like a gift tag. So then like we had relatives like gift the money so that, uh, so that you know, it, it didn't exceed the, the gift value that you could give per person. Oh, wait, does that mean multiple relatives had to gift you different sums of money? Yeah. So like, well, both my parents could give both me and my husband, I want to say it was 10000 back then. So that was 40000 And then, yeah, we had a few aunts and uncles kind of give money. We also had um, money. So in Chinese culture, a lot of people give money for uh, weddings. And so we actually got quite a bit of money from our wedding. So we used all that and uh, and yeah somehow none of it was taxed none of it was taxed because you did it all yeah
1: so hey that's really important to know if people want um want to receive right like a, a a help on buying a house or something like that there's different definitely ways to
0: do it so that it doesn't get taxed because how when does it get taxed alisa a gift money when it's over the annual gift amount, which currently is 16,000 a year. But again, like each person can give each person money. So like my dad could give me 10,000 and give my husband 10,000. My mom could give me 10,000 and give my husband 10,000. So that's how they could give 40,000. And and this is each year. Each year. Right. Okay. So I think we might've actually done it over two years. They, you know, like in planning, um, and, and so then I think my parents gave us the bulk of 80000 And then I think we got just, I think one of my aunts kind of like covered the, the little bit more that we needed.
1: So this was, so this was your house you, you lived in for the
0: MD, PhD. Were you there eight years? I was. Well, eight years and after, or did you guys relocate? Uh, so uh, we stayed there for my intern year. And then for residency, I went to Chicago, but my husband stayed in Cleveland uh, for my residency and fellowship. So he was there for another five years. So we, we were in the house for a long time.
1: So you were long distance for five years. Yes. So, oh my gosh. After an eight year PhD MD program. Oh my God. Tell me about that. How was
0: that? So honestly, I actually think it was good for a marriage because there was a time where you know, things were really hard, um, especially my intern year, actually, because there's this sense of like, oh, I'm working all the time. So when I'm not working, like we should be able to do stuff together. And he was a high school teacher and he really devoted himself. Oh, He still really devotes himself to his uh, career. And there'll be times where he's like, well, grades are due. I don't have time. And I'm like, how, how do you not have time? Like you've been teaching for all these years. Like, you know, I have really limited time that I'm working, you know, I don't think I was quite working eight hours a week, but, you know, close. And, and I was working like 30-hour call. This was back when people still took full 30-hour call. And so, like, I just, I felt like, you know, when I have time, you should make time for me. And, and that wasn't really quite happening. So actually doing residency and fellowship apart really did mean we had to plan all our time together. And so when we were together, it was quality time because it was all planned, like to actually be together. And, and then, you know, residency and fellowship, I could really devote myself to my medical training, and not really feel guilty about, you know, doing extra things to to study or, um, you know, so doing my residency in Chicago, there are actually multiple residency programs. And there'll be multiple like symposiums and different things happening, a lot of things come to Chicago. And for residents, it's free to go all those things. So I was able to just go to all of it and not you know, feel guilty that I'm like leaving my husband home and not spending time with him. And we would always plan like our weekends together. And then I would just take off the entire weekend. We would just have a fantastic weekend together. And it did work out, I think, a little better because he was a high school teacher. So, you know, he had a lot of, um, you know, Presidents' day off, like things that other people don't have off. And he has the summer off he has a week for spring break, uh, you know, two weeks for, for Christmas. So a lot more time off that he could actually spend in Chicago with me.
1: That he wouldn't be working on grades, yeah, for all those times. Okay, so that was for five years, okay. and that was what that was about uh, nine or ten years after you got married. Yes, so we'd already been married for a good amount of time, and then that five years was actually good for your marriage. And that was like the first time anybody on my podcast that I can remember has said that long distance was good for their marriage, because most people come on here and have done long distance either an inter- you know, as their internship or residency or even in med school and say they don't recommend it on anybody but for your particular situation and i think i think also what helps is that you have been married for 10 years too um that you devoted you learned how to take that oh well i have time so you should make time for me you learned how to take that out of your thinking your brain vocabulary okay so
0: then when you finally moved back in together with each other was that easy or hard it was easy. Yeah, I mean, I think we had lived together already for so long. I and mean, we we're so used to living with each other. And even the, during the five years, there was the summer where we were living together as well. So one of the benefits of it is that when we were apart, also, he had to now learn how to cook. Previously, I had done all the cooking. So I taught him, like, you know, several different dishes. And so now I really reap the rewards of that because now he actually cooks, you know, quite a bit and, and takes that off my plate.
1: Oh wow! Okay, that's awesome. And um, and then, do you guys still schedule time together, or is that just more natural, or or is it when you have time off? Because I I assume you're still both busy. Him doing grades and you doing everything you do, life coaching and oculoplastics surgery. Mm-hmm. So do you still have that mentality? Whereas when you have
0: time off, he should be spending time with you. Do you guys plan it or does it just spontaneous? So now what we do is we're both really into calendaring. So we put everything on our calendar. And so we can see where we both don't have something on our calendar. And so then that's the time we spend together. And we also spend, I mean, dinners together unless we have something specifically planned with someone else. So. you know, so we always at least have that quality time of, you know, about 45 minutes of, you know, to an hour of dinner and sometimes longer, we'll just sit and chat.
1: Okay. That's awesome. So he does his calendar, you do yours and you figure out a way. Hey, that's key. Okay. And so then let's talk a little, touch a little bit more about finances currently in your marriage or for the past, actually 22 years. Uh, How have the finances evolved?
0: So we didn't, join finances until we were married even though we had been dating for three years it was definitely separate i mean we kind of paid for things for each other but you know we didn't really necessarily keep track of you know like oh you paid this i'll pay that it just you know kind of worked out um and then i uh i managed the finances in terms of like i still keep that spreadsheet where i track all our um, spending in different categories and i pay the bills But he does actually, anytime he does any spending, he'll put the uh, receipt into a shared Google Sheets uh, drive so that I can pull that into the expenses. Um, He does get essentially an allowance where he's allowed to spend that on whatever he wants and doesn't have to ask. Uh, And he... Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I don't actually give myself like a dollar amount allowance. (laughs) (laughs) where he just has like you know an amount that he can just spend every month or you know and and it carries forward and he really never spends it all whereas like I do tend to have a few kind of bigger um key items and what I'll do is kind of be like okay this can be my birthday gift so I really love uh, photography and so it's not like every year I'm buying something but you know every so often if I buy like a new lens or a new camera like my camera's like $3,000 $3,000 to the body and my lenses typically cost between like one and $2,000. So like those are, I mean, if I bought like one lens a year, that would probably still fit in that kind of budget, but, um, you know, but other things come up. I tend to buy more clothes. He doesn't care so much about clothes. Uh, and, and we do have a separate clothes budget from like our just fun spending budget, but, um, uh, Oh, so, okay, so you have a fun spending budget together well i have a fun spending budget and he has a fun spending budget in terms of buying whatever we want like inter uh, like items or you know just stuff and then we have a fun budget for experiences um, which i think is important to keep separate because like the experiences are really more where i think that's like quality money spent
1: yeah yeah for sure. And so do you does he take part in like deciding? How do you guys decide how much money is going to go into which of these
0: expenses budgeting buckets? You know, he really doesn't care for money at all and has a lot to do with how he was raised. So I mentioned how his parents were divorced and his um, uh, father would you know give money to his mother. Well, it was always kind of through him. You know, he would go to his father. Uh, for visitation rights and that's when his mother would like get the money and his you know mother kind of let him go so that she could get the money and he hated that he hated all of it and they would fight about money and how much uh, because this wasn't like court mandated child support this was just this was like him giving of what he felt and he was actually quite generous in how much he gave Uh, so he really Hates dealing with money. He he just has a huge mental block around money, but luckily he also doesn't spend very much. So he really just leaves it to me to figure out the finances and where we're at.
1: Okay. And was that scary or not, like were you intimidated when you first got married, knowing that you were going to have to do all of it on your own, or basically you know
0: figure it out on your own? Not really. I mean, I did it for myself, and that was easy. And so I just thought like, okay, now we're doing it. For each other i also when i was in high school i uh, worked part-time as an assistant to accountant so i was very um, savvy with putting numbers into gosh it wasn't quickbooks back then quicken i think um, yes quicken so you know like kind of adding up numbers and i mean finances like personal finances is really all basic math it's literally just like addition and subtraction right <laughs> no it's
1: math it's for money nerds it definitely
0: <laughs> but it's not like you even needed like calculus or anything like, <laughs> high up, right? Like most of like my um, formulas on my Excel sheet are like, you know, some of these columns, right? It's, it's really basic math. So yeah, no, I, I never really had any issues. It was, it was, and I have to say like, it wasn't like I budgeted like, okay, we need to figure out how to get our spending under something. It was kind of easy just to see like, well, how much are we spending? If it was tracking higher, why was it tracking higher and can we bring it down if we needed to bring it down? But I first looked at like how much we spend and then trying to keep it at that level as opposed to just throwing a number there that may be unrealistic to stay at. Got it. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So you, you start with what you're at,
1: where you're at now before you just start assigning random numbers. Okay, that totally makes sense. Now, what are your... um what are your recommendations for, you know, we, there's a lot of women physician breadwinners out there, or maybe even just women physicians and dual physician couples and they, and their spouse may or may not be interested in money, but they feel like they want to start learning or, you know, maybe they are intimidated or anxious or maybe they're like your husband and they had a, a, uh, Stigma towards money and they think it's bad or evil and they could be used through them. You know What kind of things do you Help, you know, because I know you're you're a wealthy mindset coach How do you help your clients kind of grasp that wealthy mindset or them the mindset
0: in order to start? Handling their finances Yeah, so I think it starts with really looking at a person's money beliefs and where it comes from So a lot of our money beliefs do come from childhood, from seeing how our parents handled money, seeing how our friends handled money, you know, how our household was different from other households. Like I know growing up that my parents were very conservative about saving and not spending. And there were definitely, you know, I saw people and, you know, my uh, classmates, they would get like bikes for their birthdays, they would get like, you know, really kind of More expensive things, and we would get much smaller things. If we wanted a bike, we had to save for half of it, and then my parents would, you know, uh, uh, fund the other half. And and so I had this idea that we were kind of poor compared to other families. So we were growing up, but it's funny because our house is actually bigger than, (laughs) than some other people's houses, and. Uh, and what I realized, you know, as an adult looking back is that, you know, my parents really didn't want to spend where like it wasn't necessary. They wanted to make sure that there was money for college. They wanted to make sure there was always like an emergency fund and and, uh, and they felt security in having that extra money as opposed to other families where they may not have very much in savings. They may not be in a good place towards retirement, They may be spending kind of everything that's coming in, you know. And I don't know the financial positions of my friends' parents or peers' parents, but you just never know. I mean, maybe like they could uh, have a nicer house if they spent less money on, you know, cars and bikes and things. Or maybe, (laughs) yeah. I mean, you 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 just never know like what's actually going on in a financial household. And that's that's something I realized as an adult that I didn't know as a kid. Um, You know, as a kid, we actually like. Uh, my cousin would uh, send us clothes and we'd be excited to get these new hand-me-downs
1: oh yeah I loved hand-me-downs as a kid because I didn't have siblings so if I got them from from like the neighborhood girls oh my gosh that was like amazing Okay. So, okay. Starts with, yeah, looking at your childhood money beliefs and then how you can you encourage them to just invest with confidence? Like what if they're afraid they're going to lose all their money or they just, they have no idea they'd ra- rather just somebody else do it for them.
0: Yeah. So showing how someone else doing them, uh, doing it for them is actually just guaranteeing loss of money. <laughs> right because you're paying someone to do that and that's and you're paying it uh if they lose your money or if they make money for you and they typically aren't going to do any better than just index funds and so by showing like how much decreased wealth by just handing over that job i think really shows like oh i really can just do this and it's really not that hard wow okay so
1: showing how much money they're actually spending or handing over in order for somebody else to manage it for them and what if they don't what what kind of advice do you give to them if they don't have that support kind of like you you know your husband's just like I don't want to deal with money I don't I'm going to you deal with all of it um, but they're not as confident as you and they didn't grow up with as strong as savers or parents that instill these money beliefs upon them um, how do they get
0: into that Yeah so it's just working on their beliefs and you know what what they believe what Beliefs aren't serving them, what can they slowly start to believe? Giving them, you know, bridging thoughts, beliefs, um, and you know, recognizing like, you know, the people I coach, they're all really smart, like capable individuals. And this is something that's really not that hard. It just takes the wanting to do it. And so kind of also like, what's the why? What's the reason you want to, to do this? And you know, often it's financial independence and feeling of security. And so just reminding Know oneself like of that why, and just knowing like it's just you know, feeling discomfort is just a feeling, and if you can feel any feeling, then you can really do anything, right? You know, even if you lose money, like you're it's a learning experience in that, and honestly, I mean, just because you give your money to someone else to manage doesn't mean that they're not losing money, right? When the stock market goes down, like. You're losing money even if you have a financial advisor. There's not a financial advisor who's so good that when the entire market's coming down that they're still somehow making you money.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, and you have time to do, to manage your, manage your finances, hang out with your husband and be an ophthalmologist, oculoplastic surgeon. So anybody can do this.
0: Yeah, no, it really, it's a few hours a month to manage your finances. It's really, you know, you just sit on the calendar and you just think about how much time you may be like scrolling through Facebook or Instagram or, you know, what have you just idle time your phone. I mean, you add all that up, you can find the time to manage your personal finances. And t- chances are you're already doing a lot of it, right? Like somehow bills are getting paid and you can start to automate a lot of that stuff too. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I
1: try to automate as much as i can and then the, the the bills i don't those are the ones that are like paid the last or i'm like oh i gotta go sit down and do that <laughs> well okay anything else any any closing thoughts um that you want to you know we didn't really talk too much about ophthalmology but we talked about capture the flag mm-hmm. and all your hubby and and you know um maybe how not to handle child Child support <laughs> during a divorce, um, and five years away from your spouse during training could be good for your marriage. Hey, look at you guys! So, anything else you want to share with our audience?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, anyone can learn how to handle their own money and handle their investments, and not need a financial advisor or you can actually you know get a financial advisor just pay someone who's fee based to give you an initial financial plan and then just go ahead and follow that plan but you know not have them necessarily manage your money with assets and their management fees like you know they can you can get a plan of like this is an appropriate asset allocation these are good index funds to go to and just you know follow that plan like you don't necessarily have to create the whole plan uh, you can you know essentially buy a plan that's fitted for you with someone who's what's called fiduciary. So they're doing what's right for you. Unfortunately, under 10% of uh, financial advisors in the United States are truly fiduciary. So that's the real issue with using a financial advisor. Mm -hmm. So not all financial advisors are bad. In fact, I have a good friend who is a great financial advisor. I mean, he is a a fee for service and he doesn't do any, he doesn't manage your assets, but um, you know, he really sets up, uh, you know, a plan for you to follow.
1: Okay. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much. And I'm, I, where, where can people find you if they want to get a hold of
0: you, Alyssa? Yeah. So probably easiest ways to go to my website, growyourwealthymindset.com. There, there's links to all my social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram. I also have a YouTube channel, uh, that has just some, some uh, short videos, both on money mindset, mindset in general, as well as, uh, you know, finances and investing.
1: Perfect. Well, we're all going to go to www.growyourwealthymindset.com. And I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us, Elisa Chong.
0: Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun.
1: What an amazing episode with Dr. Elisa Chong. Okay. So my big take-home points from Dr. Elisa. Number one, long distance doesn't have to be a bad thing. And this is kind of like a twist, a twist to the plot, because a lot of people who come on my show and just a lot of people in general, always talking about how long distance is terrible for your relationship, for your marriage. If you're long distance, then that means you're not actually putting what's most important in, on the front of your, you know, in the forefront of your life. But what she said is, you know, they had been married for 10 years. So that five years, they were long distance. They made time for each other they spent all the holidays the summer breaks uh, uh, lots of weekends together that they could and then when they weren't together they focused completely on their careers and that what did that force them to do that forced them to calendar as she referenced they both love calendaring so the time the weekends they did spend together the holidays and the summers they did spend together they were 100% there for each other So this is just an unexpected twist to the plot. How long distance could be good for your marriage. Not saying that you all should go rush out and move, move move away, move to separate states, move to separate cities and separate houses. But if you happen to have to be long distance, you could probably figure out a way to make that long distance enhance your relationship instead of have it be the detriment of your relationship. Number two, save money for a rainy day. I love how her parents did the bicycle, right? If she wanted a bicycle, other, the other kids in her, the other kids in her class or her in school in her neighborhood, they got bicycles for Christmas or for their birthdays. She didn't, she got maybe something a little bit smaller. And not saying that it's wrong or right if you give your kids bicycle for i'm pretty sure i've given my kids bicycles for christmas and their birthdays but wouldn't it be wouldn't it be awesome if your if your children really wanted something whether it be a bicycle lego set something big they're saving they want that you could just sit down and teach them wealth management while they're five years old or 10 years old say okay johnny you want that big new lego set that costs over 100 dollars? then I'm going to have you save for half of it and this is how you're going to do it. If you do this, this, if you help take the dog out, do the dishes, make your bed every morning, do these things, then you will earn a commission of $5 for the week or however many dollars you want to give them. And then once you earn $50, I'll pay the other $50 and you can get your Lego set. What a great way to build a wealthy mindset, a good mindset relationship of money for your little 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 kids and I think this is kind of what Elisa learned without even realizing it she thought she was poor not that I want your kids to think they're poor but she had a great house she had parents that were very financially savvy and instilled this upon her whereas unfortunately for her husband things weren't instilled upon him that way now can you do it during it well if you have divorced parents sure sure if you're a single parent or a divorced parent you can definitely still instill the same money beliefs and wealth building mindset on your children the question becomes what do they want and are they willing to save up for it if they really want it and I think you'll find that they will if you give them a way to earn that money if you help Encourage their wealthy mindset beliefs. Number three, how can women invest confidently? Well, they can start by examining how confident they are currently, and if they're not feeling confident with investing, why? Examine, Dr. Lisa Chong said. Go back to how you were brought up. Go back to how your parents spent money, how your friends spent money, how those around you earned, spent and what they believed, how they talked about money. Revisit that and figure out if any of those beliefs are still hindering you or are they actually helping you in life. And once you can discover those underlying beliefs, you can actually completely enhance your financial portfolio by just believing that you can invest confidently. You as the woman physician, or the breadwinner, or in the dual physician relationship, you have a part, you have a major role here. So figure out how you can invest confidently for your financial future. And that is it, my friends. Please go and spread love into this world. I leave you with some questions to walk away asking yourself, such as, do I have a fee-based fiduciary financial advisor? If I do have a financial advisor, are they fiduciary? Are they fee-based? If I have a financial advisor, are they asset under management? Do they collect fees for my assets under management? And how much if if that if I do have a financial advisor that collects asset under management fees? How much am I giving them every month or every year to manage my assets? And how much would that be in 5 years or 10 years? Just food food for thought. Money food for thought. And how can I begin to instill the importance of wealth building on my children today? And how can I start calendaring time to spend more quality minutes and hours with my spouse this week? That is it, my friends. Please join me at Medicine, Marriage, and Money Facebook group, a community where we talk about all things relationships, what we're working on, share funny stories, loving relationship adventures. And the 39.6 Facebook community, 39.6 community is the community where my husband talks about all things finance. He goes way into the nitty gritty details about tax savings, real estate investing, what kind of car seat, car, house to buy, cash balance pans, you name it. And until then, I'll see you next week. So much love to you and your spouse. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional, medical, or financial advice. The opinions provided on this podcast are those of myself or the invited guest alone. They do not represent the opinions of any particular institution. Always seek the advice of your physician or financial advisor with any questions you may have of a medical condition or financial plan. This is for your entertainment only.